Our scripture reading this morning is from Psalm 33, 1 through 5. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the, on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Amy. Good morning. Uh, happy belated Thanksgiving. Hope everyone is well fed and watered. Uh, my name is Anthony Emerson. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Community Brookside. If this is your first time here, I too would like to thank you for being with us. We're glad that you are here. And if you're a kid here this morning, uh, if you may not know, we have something called Kid Connect that's in the back by this center aisle. If you haven't grabbed one, you can feel free to go back uh, now or during the sermon to grab one. Um, there's some colored pencils that helps you sort of follow along with the sermon, so feel free to grab one of those. Today is the first Sunday of Advent in which we celebrate the coming of Christ to the world. We're beginning a new sermon series named Songs That Sustain Us. I love Christmas music, I'm talking about songs. I love jingle bells. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. And now that we have passed Thanksgiving, it is, in my opinion, legal now to listen to Christmas music. Um, but do these songs that we sing, these Christmas tunes that we hear on the radio, do they give us more than temporary escape? Can they sustain us? They give us strength. Maybe they do. Maybe they do. But I do know that there is a store of songs that can sustain us. There is a treasure of songs that have the ability to not only entertain us, but also to strengthen us. And that storeroom, that treasure chest, is the Psalms. So as we get closer to Christmas this year, we'll be looking at a different psalm each week, the different Advent theme, and we'll get to celebrate Advent together in the ultimate songbook. Today's psalm is about hope. It's a song of hope, and we'll see what we can learn from it, but let's begin in prayer. Lord, thank you for this day that you have made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. I pray, Lord, that you would teach us now, that you would speak and comfort and instruct and encourage and draw us closer to you. Would you be present now and be working among us? Amen. Hope is dangerous. Hope is something that should be handled with care. You have to be cautious with it. Because hope, while it, if we, got, if we polled people, would probably get very high approval ratings, it's a good thing. Hope way too often lets you down, is not met with reality, leads to disappointment, gives you a punch in the gut. 
Hope is dangerous. As a football fan, you, you see this all the time. People get their hopes up about their team winning only to be let down in the most brutal ways. I remember watching a game last year. It was between highly ranked Notre Dame and a pretty bad University of Virginia team. Uh, But miraculously, Virginia is leading in the final seconds by one point. Notre Dame has the ball. They have a long way to go still. And on the brink of a huge upset, with their fans going crazy, Virginia gives up a long touchdown and lose the game at the last minute. Hopes were high, and then they were let down. And right after that game-deciding touchdown, the camera cut to this Virginia fan's reaction. (laughs) That, my friends, is all too often what hope ends up looking like. Hope is dangerous. But not only is hope dangerous, I'll take it a step further and say that if we're going to hope for more than small things like our team winning or for a certain something for Christmas, if we're talking about hope for ultimate life concerns, hope about things like true peace and joy and purpose and love that lasts, then I'd go so far as to say that hope is insane. Hope is insane unless it's in God. This won't be a total downer sermon. Some of you are worrying about that. If you put your hope for your future well-being, for life after death, for abundant life now, in anything or anyone other than God, I want to contend this morning it makes simply no sense. With God, there is hope. We can sing of hope. It's real. But without Him, there is none. Hope is insane unless it's in God. I don't think I'm making this up from my own head. I think this is what Psalm 33 suggests to us. But before we dive into Scripture, one more preliminary item. What is hope? We talk about hope a lot, but what exactly are we talking about? There's two main definitions, I I think, and we don't want to get them mixed up. The, The definition we are not using today is hope as wishing. When I say to you, I hope you have a great day, what I'm in effect saying is I wish for you to have a great day. It's a nice sentiment, but that's all that it means. It's it's simply a wish about the future. But that is not how we're talking about the word hope today. The definition we're working from today is that hope is anticipation based on confidence. Hope is anticipation based on confidence. You're confident that your team is going to win because they're leading with a couple seconds left. And so you anticipate, you can taste victory, you anticipate winning. You had confidence in grandma as a very good cook for Thanksgiving dinner, and you anticipated a good meal. You had high hopes 
for that. Hope is anticipation based on confidence. And you cannot be, it follows, a person of hope without having good reason to be, without having something you're confident in. And if you are living in this world, which is so unpredictable and so often dashes hopes like it's nobody, nobody's business, you better have good reason to hope or it's simply not going to last. So what the psalmist does masterfully, I think, in this song of hope in Psalm 33 is give us reasons to hope. He gives us reasons to have confidence in the character and competency of God so that we can anticipate good things from Him in the future, so that we can hope in Him, so that we can be people of hope. He gives us three reasons to have confidence in and thus to hope in God. Three reasons why we can confidently live in anticipation of God's goodness and blessings and His life. And we're going to unpack those reasons today and end with some practical next steps. That's what we're going to do with our remaining time. So we'll jump in. Firstly, hope is insane unless it's in God because this is God's world. This is God's world. You heard the first five verses of the psalm read, which set up the song, but let's get into the meat of the actual song here, starting with verses 6 through 9. And as we read these verses, notice all of the creation language, how God is talked about as creator and as Lord of creation. Verse 6, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of His mouth, all their hosts. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him, for He spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The psalmist begins this song of hope celebrating God as creator, creator of the heavens, creator of the starry host, creator of the ocean, creator and sustainer of all things. But why does this matter? How does this give us hope? What, what's it to me if God created the world? We've had debates right, for decades on creation versus evolution. A God-created world versus a self-evolving and forming universe. But I think what both sides often fail to realize, what anyone here who is not a Christian who may have a hard time accepting that God created the world, and what Christians who do believe that God created the world, both often can fail to comprehend is that this is not just about if the Bible is true or not. If God did create the world, the truth of the Bible is not the only implication. Because for the ancients, for the psalmists, 
The fact that God created the world meant that God is present and active in nature. Meaning he did not finish his creation project and then go sit in some spiritual reality separate from the universe. He did not complete his work, rest on the seventh day, and spend the eighth day on a road trip back to heaven where he's sort of hung out for the last however, however many millennia. The fact that God created the earth means that he is here in this universe. It means that as humans, our ecosystem, our habitat has a God in it. The God, in fact, the all-powerful one who created it. And he uses, this is important, his power as creator and sustainer of all things for his people's good. He is not helpless in the face of the forces of nature. He is able to work in time and space for the good of those who believe in him. At second glance, we see this in verses 7 and 8. This psalm in these verses isn't just about referring to the creation of the world in Genesis, but also to the creation of God's people Israel in the book of Exodus. It refers to when God parts the sea and delivers His people from Egypt so that He can create a new nation, Israel, so that all other peoples would see and stand in awe. This is what's happening in verse 7. Look with me again. It says, He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap, referring to the Red Sea. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. The psalmist is pointing out that God, yes, created the world, but also that He works concretely in time and space to do good for His people, to deliver them as He did for Israel in Egypt. This is His world. that is still true today. We do not hope in a God who is far off. We do not place our confidence in a God who is detached. He is not just somewhere out there past space. Instead, we hope in God because He is present and active and all-powerful, and this is His world. This is His environment which means it is a perfectly safe place to be. Some, maybe most of us, are now thinking this world is definitely not a perfectly safe place to be. I have been hurt. I've been injured. I've lost loved ones. There are wars. There is oppression. How can you say that? Well, do not hear me say that because this is God's world, we feel no pain and there is no suffering. And there isn't seeming randomness to it. Clearly, that's false. There is profound evil and pain in the world. How is it still true that this is God's world? A couple months ago, I was sitting next to a pond in a park in KCK, and I was looking at the lily pads. I kind of have a fascination with lily pads. I don't know why. I really like them. 
Uh, but I noticed something that I had never noticed before. As I looked more closely at what was underwater, I noticed all of these different lily pads on the pond came and stemmed from one plant. And this was one ugly plant. It was knobbly and spiky, and it was a weird shade of green and twisted. It looked like one of those plants that might eat you in a scary movie. I was sitting there noticing this, and I was struck by the fact that this ugly plant underwater sprouted up to become these beautiful, peaceful-looking lily pads on the surface of the water. And I think life with God is something like that. Our lives can be ugly and knobbly and look like something straight out of a horror show at times. But for the person who is in Christ, the end product is always beautiful. And just like that pond on that sunny, warm, breezy fall day, God has provided an environment for us to live in that, while far from promising happiness and ease and beauty every step of the way, is perfectly suited for our growth and ultimately perfect flourishing and joy. You and I live in a habitat that God has provided and where He is at work bringing us to Himself. Yes, other forces are at play too. Evil forces are at play. Unjust forces are at play. But this is God's world, not anybody else's at the end of the day. It would be insane to put your hope in anything other than Him. But not only is hope insane unless it is in God because this is His world, but also because God is master of history. God is master over all nations, peoples, politics, through all time. He's master of human history. Look at this happening with me in verses 10 through 17. It says, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of His heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom He has chosen as His heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth, he who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue." If you want to talk about being able to have confidence in someone, let's talk about the someone who's so characterized by wisdom that his plans always work out. The someone who superintends the events of history, 
whose plans throughout the centuries, throughout the millennia, never fail, whose counsel is perfect. Blessed are those who put their hope in Him as their leader, ruler, and counselor. By contrast, the strength of men is useless, a false hope. Kings and armies and warriors and war horses are nothing, again, if we're talking about things like lasting joy and peace and life. Hoping in them is futile. And human leaders, likewise, are finite. Their counsel, decision-making, governance, a mixed bag at best. Some of our leaders are incredible today. Some of our leaders are not the wisest. All of them we're called to pray for, yes, but all of them are finite and imperfect. It doesn't make sense to put all our hope in human leaders. And to bear this out, let me share a few laws that human leaders have passed. These are real laws that are still in effect, believe it or not. For example, in Kansas City, Missouri today, it is against the law to install a bathtub with four legs resembling animal paws. Very wise. For those of you who live in Kansas, you should know that according to the law, pedestrians crossing a highway at night must wear taillights. <laughs> and my favorite Kansas law, if two trains meet on the same track, neither shall proceed until the other has passed. <laughs> these, these are extreme examples, right, of humans' lack of wisdom. These are extreme examples, I know, but it would be insane, it holds true, to put your hope for well-being and a secure future in flawed human leaders. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing, it says. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. No leader has the ability to challenge him. No human policy, no law can defeat his church. And no movement of men stands a chance of overcoming his beloved. Yes, there have been wars, and there has been oppression, and there is poverty and injustice, Yes, and we're called as God's people to address that, to not ignore it, but we do so with hope, knowing that God's purposes for His people through it all will be accomplished. It may or may not appear so at the moment. But all of history is moving toward the glorious coming of the kingdom of heaven. History is moving toward a future in which all things are made new and eternal abundant life is enjoyed with God. Don't stake your hopes in the Oval Office for this. The Oval Office is important and we should care about it, but don't stake your hopes, your ultimate hopes in it. That's insufficient. It's insane. 
the counsel of the Lord stands forever, and the plans of His heart to all generations. He is master of history, and the logical choice is to place all your hope in Him. God superintends all events that gives us reasons to hope. But if we stopped right here, if we stopped right here, you and I would not have the resources to be people of hope. It is not enough to admire God as creator. It is not enough to acknowledge the magnificence of God as master of history. That's just head knowledge. In order for us to have enough confidence in God that we can consistently place our hope in Him, we must also finally come to see that hope is insane unless it's in God because God cares for me profoundly because God cares for me. The psalmist, notice this, zooms in from God as creator to God as master of human history to God caring for individuals as reasons to hope. We have this cosmic context in this psalm. But in verses 18 and 19, watch for the emphasis on God's attention to people and individuals. Verse 18 reads, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him, on those who hope in His steadfast love that He may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. God is not just a great God. He is a good God. God is not just a big God, He is an intimate God. He is a God of power and wisdom, but also a God of steadfast love. This concept of steadfast love is central to understanding what it means that God cares for you and me. It's a really important concept throughout Scripture. And if we're going to grasp God's care for us and what that means, We need to grasp what this steadfast love is. This steadfast love that the psalmist speaks of is fiercely loyal love. It's the kind of love that drives God and His relationship with Israel throughout the Old Testament. When Israel disobeys and sins, He sticks with them and steadfastly loves them. He steadfastly loves His people. Steadfast love is a you're-not-going-to-get-rid-of-me-easily kind of love. It's a no-matter-what-happens-I'm-staying-with-you kind of love. It's a if-you-can-make-a-movie-about-it-it-would-be-more-emotional-than-any-chick-flick-you-have-seen kind of love. It's a these are really long adjectives consisting of full sentences because there's nothing else that can sufficiently describe it kind of love. It's fiercely loyal and consistently gracious. And this is not only the kind of love that God has for the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. It is the kind of love that He has for you and me in Christ. He has not changed. His love is steadfast. 
You and I sin. His love is steadfast. We fall short. His love is steadfast. We reject God and go off to worship false idols. His love remains steadfast. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him, on those who hope in His steadfast love, the text says. It is not those who are perfect who His eyes are on, who He cares for. As you hope in Him, He is exquisitely attentive to you as a lover. He cares for you. That is an incredible truth, that He cares for me. The God who created the world, who is master of all of history, cares deeply for you and me. You have to be insane to go looking for someone or something else to place your hope in. You can have perfect confidence in God and His intimate care for you. His love is steadfast. Hope in Him. In Kurt Vonnegut's novel, Cat's Cradle, part of the plot is the creation of a religion, this is a fictional religion, called Bokanonism. And the Holy Scripture in this novel, of the Holy Scripture of Bokanonism, this fictional religion, is the books of Bokanon. And the 14th book of Bokanon is unique. The title of the book is what can a thoughtful man hope for mankind on earth, given the experience of the past million years? The book had but one verse, and the verse had but one word, nothing. In this world, hope is insane. It makes no sense. It is naive. You will be let down and disappointed unless it's in God. Unless it's in God because this is His world, because He is master of history, and because He cares for you and me. And this God who created the world, who's master of human history, who cares for you and me individually, He gave us the single greatest reason to hope 2,000 years ago when He was born in a manger. He came to this earth and He lived among us. He came and taught us the way of life in His kingdom. He came on and died on behalf of our sins so we could enter His kingdom. He was buried but then He rose from the dead and is living today. And I would argue that this is not just theological talk, but historical fact, documented history. There is concrete reason to hope. And the living Christ, through the Holy Spirit, is offering you today the chance to hope. 
to become a person of hope. If you have not, place your confidence in Him for the forgiveness of your sins and for new life in Him. If you already have, trust Him even more. Hope in Him even more. As we move to a close, what now? How do we live this out? Yeah, we have reasons to hope, but how practically do we become people of hope? How do we become people who have such confidence in the character of God that we can live with anticipation of His goodness at all times? Who, this Christmas season, how can we become people who have songs of hope in our hearts? I want to recommend to you two spiritual disciplines to engage in here. Those disciplines are memorization and meditation. For memorization, we actually have uh, these cards that are on the name tag table in the back. Um, These have verses from each of our upcoming Advent messages um, that you can commit to memory each week. So for this week, uh, it's the last three verses of this psalm. That's, that's one way to get started, memorizing Scripture. And memorizing Scripture is all about getting God's Word into your head and into your heart. It's not about rote memory. It's about getting God's Word into you. And the way that God's Word gets from your head in memorization to your heart is meditation. Meditation meditate on small pieces of Scripture. Meditate on the pieces of Scripture you've memorized. Maybe you memorize these verses each week and spend some time meditating on them. And and meditation looks like sitting and contemplating what God might be saying to you with that piece of Scripture at that moment. Letting God's Word saturate you. It's simply bringing to your remembrance and setting your mind on and brooding over God's Word. And besides Scripture you've memorized, you you might also begin meditating um, on the truths that we've talked about today. You can do this anywhere, when you're in your car or in line at a restaurant or falling asleep at night. Just bring to your mind and meditate on God as creator, as someone who is involved in your immediate surroundings. What does that mean for me? Think about how God is superintending all the events in your life. How would your life be different with that worldview? Set your mind upon God's intimate care for you. That's meditating. And memorization and meditation are designed to set our minds on God and His character. And as our minds are set on God and His character, our heart follows, and then our actions follow, and then our character follows. As we set our minds on God and His character, we grow in confidence and trust in Him And in turn, that causes us to become more and more hopeful, become people marked 
by hope. So set your mind on Him. Become people of hope. And this Christmas season, we can be people of hope. We can sing songs of hope. And it makes total sense. Let's pray. Lord, we praise You. You are great and You are good. You are holy and You love us. I pray that You would open our eyes to see the hope to which You have called us, as Paul says. Make us people of hope. We need you, Lord. Would you be with us? Would you be with us the rest of this service? And would you be with us through this Christmas season? We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.